Welcome to the Asbury First United Methodist Church Weekly Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about this podcast or other ways to connect, please visit asburyfirst.org. Hi, friends. I'm so excited to introduce you to the first of my friends in the A Little Help from Our Friends preaching series that's happening over the course of the next five weeks. The Reverend Jess Winderweedle is here with us today. You may recognize her from when she was here with us back in October. She is a PhD candidate in Princeton Theological Seminary in homiletics, that is preaching. Her work works on the intersection of LGBTQ preaching in mainline Protestant churches. She also was the lead minister at Kingston United Methodist, which was my former congregation. She is a good person and a good friend, and we are really thrilled to have her with us today. I hope you enjoy her message. One minute. Four fishermen had been going about the business of the day, mending their nets and counting the day's catch. But in the next minute, they heard an unfamiliar voice calling out to them over the noise of the seashore. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. The gospel writer Mark tells us that they immediately left their nets and followed him. One minute these guys were having the day they expected to have, and in the next minute, for reasons unknown, perhaps even to them, they were heading in a new direction. There must have been something strangely compelling about Jesus' call, or maybe these men were just curious about what exactly fishing for people might mean. But whatever it was that beckoned them, they dropped everything to follow. The disciples followed Jesus from the workday to the Sabbath, from the seashore to the synagogue, And there, as we heard in our reading today, they sat and they heard him teach. And this teaching, it just wasn't quite like anything that they had heard before. The disciples were used to coming to the synagogue to hear the stories of their ancestors, to receive the rich traditions that had been passed down to them from generation to generation. They had come to know what to expect from the teaching of the scribes. These traditions were as much a part of them as their own blood and bone. And the scribes' teaching reminded them who God was and reminded them of God's steadfast promises and unfailing provision. But when Jesus was teaching, maybe it was about the particular moment in history that they occupied Maybe it was the occupying empire that infiltrated every aspect of their lives, but for whatever reason, Jesus' teaching, well, as the kids would say, it just hit different. Mark tells us that Jesus had come into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Good news. The propaganda of Caesar's iron-fisted empire had been touted as good news, too. Even now, within our seemingly endless political cycles, good news 
for one set of loyalists generally means bad news for another. The goodness of good news, it seems, is in the eye of the beholder or in the coffers of those who benefit from it most. So what was so different about Jesus' good news? As the disciples listened to Jesus teach, they heard the echoes of God's word that had been given to their ancestors through the prophets, a word about the way God defines goodness. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing spring up quickly. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and God will say, here I am. See, Jesus had come into the world to stand at this horizon that the prophet Isaiah describes, this place where the goodness of God rises against the powers of darkness and evil and injustice in the world, the place where healing springs up and people are fed and housed and clothed and welcomed into relationship and set free from all that binds them up. And what his disciples would eventually come to understand was that Jesus had called them from their boats to stand there at that horizon with him, to be bearers of this good news of a good God, news that was good not just for a few, but for many, not just for those at the top, but for the last and the least, and not just good for them, then and there, but even good for us here and now. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority. But words, sometimes words are just words. Maybe this is merely my Generation X cynicism talking, but it seems that plenty of folks will say all kinds of things to have a shot at being in charge, to have a shot at even just a little bit of power or influence. The allure of having authority over others can bring out half-truths and careful, uh, careless exaggerations, promises of sweeping change that are made but never kept. Good news, bad news, it's hard to know what to believe. It's hard to know which words, which voices we can really trust. And so how would the disciples know that Jesus was really worth following? How would they know that he wouldn't make fools of them all? How could they know that the sense of authority that they heard in his teaching would hold when the rubber met the road? Well, just then, a man in a frenzy disheveled and wild-eyed, came into the synagogue and made a beeline for the teacher. The man cried out, shattering the quiet of the space, and he spoke as if he were not just one man, but many, 
And he spoke to Jesus as if he knew him, calling him by name. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Mark tells us that the man had an unclean spirit. The source of this man's affliction might have been understood then as some kind of profane spiritual power that was at odds with the sacred, a force at odds with God's purposes. We might not think much today in terms of unclean spirits, demons, and the like, but we certainly know what it looks like when someone's reality has been sieged and seized by affliction. We have known those whose lives have been unraveled by illness or trauma, ravaged by addiction, or even distorted beyond recognition by creeping, hate-filled ideologies. We have seen the kinds of powers that rob our neighbors of the abundant life that we want for them, the abundant life that we have to believe God wants for them. Now, it's a common idea among those of us who geek out about preaching that the very best preaching doesn't deal only in lofty theological ideas but rather puts those ideas on the ground in ways that are relevant to those who hear the sermon. Now the gospel, the sermon that Jesus had been preaching was about breaking the yokes of bondage and setting the imprisoned free. The good news of his message was that those held captive by oppressive powers would be liberated and the brokenhearted would be restored. And here in this moment, of shattered peace and holding breath here before Jesus, his words still ringing in the ears of his disciples was a real live person in the deep need of liberation, bearing a heavy yoke. What would Jesus say? And more importantly, what would Jesus do? Just how good would this good news turn out to be. Well, Jesus certainly could have sent the man away or waited for someone else to do something. He was just the guest preacher after all. <laughs> Let the locals deal with the messy stuff. But no, because Jesus' authority wasn't about job title or credentials, position or pay grade. His authority came from the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. His authority wasn't just something that could be bought with the right words. No, it was embodied as the very word of God made flesh to walk among us. And so in the same way that he would later raise his voice to still the storm, in the same way that he would speak healing into the lives of those whose bodies were ruled by pain, in the same way that he would call his friend Lazarus out from the grave, Jesus called this unclean spirit forth, demanding that the violent cacophony be silent. Jesus extinguished the power of this spirit of oppression and a life that had been bound up and robbed of agency and counted as lost in one minute was in the next minute set free. One minute this man was having the day that everyone around him might have expected him to have. 
a day probably marked by chaos and loneliness and judgment, a day filled with folks looking and leaning away from him. But in the next minute, a tangible, fleshy word of good news changed everything. It changed everything for this man set free from his bondage. It changed everything for those disciples who had left everything they had to fish for people. It changed everything for those who bore witness to what happened. They told anyone who would listen, and soon the name on every tongue in Galilee was Jesus. A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Good news in word and in action changes everything. Isn't that the whole premise of who we are meant to be as the church? It sounds like such a simple thing. And yet in times of uncertainty, in times where the path ahead is clear, discerning the right ways to move forward in witness and in ministry can be difficult. Like the disciples, we have stepped out of our boats to follow the call of Jesus, astounded and amazed at the good news we have heard and seen and experienced for ourselves. But unlike the disciples who stood within earshot of Jesus, we can have a harder time hearing his voice. There are always many voices, many perspectives, many influences vying for our attention and our loyalties, vying for our confidence and commitment, vying for each of us to follow their lead. And as we well know, just about anyone, well-intentioned or otherwise, can make the case that God is on their side. So how can we discern the voice of Christ in our lives and in the life of the church? This might be a particularly vital kind of question for Asbury First as you all head into this new season of pastoral transition. You all, along with your incredible leadership team, your interim pastor, your bishop, and your conference leadership, have prayerful discernment and visioning and planning ahead of you. And the path ahead may not always be as clear as you'd like it to be. And so in seasons like this, how can we ensure, ensure that it is Jesus's authority that we're allowing to guide us and not something else? Well, Mark wrote that when Jesus came to Galilee, he came proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. And so first, this good news of God that Jesus proclaimed with authority, the good news that set the course of his own ministry, was driven by a divine urgency. The time has come. The reign of God is not far away. In fact, it is here now. And when Jesus acted, he did so with that same kind of urgency, as if there was no time to waste in the pursuit of justice and peace and liberation. In addition to being driven by divine urgency, this good news demanded something of those who heard it. Jesus preached, repent and believe 
open your eyes and turn in a new direction. And the boldness of Jesus' actions challenged those who followed him to act boldly too, to take leaps of faith for the sake of a world being made new. And this good news, driven by divine urgency, demanding something of those who heard it, was also defined by hope. The authority of Christ was embodied in action that healed and restored and made the goodness of God known in tangible ways to real people with real needs in real time. Divine urgency demanding something of us defined by hope. Friends, as you dream about your future in ministry here, I wonder if these same things might help form the questions that you ask as you continue to seek out Christ's authority over that future. Where does it feel like Asbury First's sense of divine urgency lies? In other words, what can't wait in your community, in the world, and what's at stake? And where are you feeling hesitant, and why might that be? Does the path ahead seem like it will demand something of you? Does it stretch and challenge you beyond the status quo? Or does it keep you in a nice, safe, comfortable place? And finally, is your vision driven by the deepest hopes of those you serve? When the rubber meets the road, does this vision lead to the kinds of action that really can change everything? Action that liberates people from the powers that bind them up with hunger or debt or fear or distrust of neighbor or anxiety about their own futures. Does this vision meet the hopes of this church and your community and the wider world? Friends, stepping into a season of change is never easy. And you know, that last pastor you had was pretty good. <laughs> and his absence will be felt. But this is an incredible church community whose presence is felt literally in places all over the nation and the world. The future of Asbury First is so, so bright, and I cannot wait to see where God takes you next. When you find yourself standing in the tough places, where the light of Christ meets the darkest horizons, know that it is there that you are in the very best company, right where the church ought to be. May we be ever more astounded and enlivened by following the lead of Christ, our Savior, whose authority is sure, whose grace is sufficient, and whose deep and abiding love is steadfast forever and ever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Asbury First Weekly Sermon. If you enjoyed this message, please visit asburyfirst.org and learn more about our mission to love God and neighbor, live fully, serve all, repeat.